good to be here this morning. Uh, <laughs> things are a little different, aren't they? I, I don't know how often you guys have had church out here. Ever? Often? I mean, before, before you know, the world came to an end. Uh, never. never. Okay, so never. So this, is, this has become standard for a while, but it was never standard beforehand. How do you like it? How do you like being in a parking lot with cars going by, you know? If you look that way, it's nicer, right? It's a little nicer looking that, looking that way to the, to the water. Um, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Ryan had asked if I would share, because I think you guys are in a little series on, uh, you know, what have I learned over the last, I don't know, X number of months, six months? And I said, I'd be happy, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, it's just my pleasure to be with you guys and to share a little bit about what God has been showing me and what I've been learning. Um, I'm sure, like, for you, it, like, you, when you, 2020 started, you did not have this in mind. You know, you did not have any of this in mind. Um, but that's okay. God is not surprised. God is not like, this thing is still happening? Are you kidding me? Like, man, when is this going to end? Like, he's not, he's not that way. So we might still be trying to figure this out, but God is not trying to figure it out. He, he knows what's going on. So I want you to start off this morning by thinking about a person in your life who's a real champion of yours, okay? It could be a parent, it could be your spouse, could be a good friend. My wife jokes with me about uh, my friend Greg, She's a mutual, he's a mutual friend of ours, he's a professor out at Biola University in California, and uh, I'm a big fan of his, he's a big fan of mine, and Diane says, we are basically the mutual admiration society, which is not untrue. And, uh, and I think to myself, is it easy for me to love my friend Greg? And the answer is very. I know there's nothing he wouldn't do for me and nothing I wouldn't do for him, and I have just so much respect for the guy. It's very easy for me to love a guy like Greg. And why is it easy? It's easy for me to love somebody who I know has my back, who I know is a supporter, who is a champion, who's a friend, Right? And I'm sure you have people like that in your life. Again, spouse, parent, you know, kid, coworker, friend, whatever. It's very easy to love people like that. But here's what I've learned over the past six months. We as a nation, and we as Christians a lot of times, really, really, really struggle with loving one another. Not so much loving our friends, but I'll explain in a second about what I mean by that. You know, I don't know how many of you are tied into social media. I'm not really like a huge social media person. Uh, I don't really even understand Twitter. Um, I just started to figure out Instagram. Uh, but Facebook I've been on for a while. And like many of you who are on that platform, you know, every day you see stuff on your Facebook feed. And I don't know. It, it is amazing the stuff that gets posted on there about what people think and believe and are happy to opine on. And I have never seen such vitriol as I have in the last six months or so. I'm not just talking about people posting things that I disagree with. I'm talking about nastiness. I'm talking about, you know, whatever issue you want, the, the pandemic, whether or not to wear masks, um, whether or not schools should be open, um, wh whether you think the federal government is doing enough, 
uh, issues of race and the protests and injustice. It, it doesn't matter. I just, I just see so much harsh language being broadcast openly. Um, you know, you don't agree with me, so that makes you a terrible person. Uh, you voted for Trump. I, I can't consider you a friend. Oh, wait, you want to defund the police? I can't have anything to do with you anymore. You must be an anarchist. It's like, wow, really? So I want to go back to the basics and touch on what I was just sharing about loving other people. And I want you guys to turn, if you have a Bible, um, to Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 47. And I know Ryan recently did a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. So I wanted to double check with him. I was like, did you touch on this? And I explained what I was going to talk about. He said, no, I didn't really touch on this part. So I'm like, okay, good. He said, and even if I did, you could cover it again. I'm like, okay, great. So Matthew, 3, uh, Matthew 5, 43 through 47 is the text. And just somebody give me a thumbs up when you're there. So I know somebody's with me. All right, Ken says yes, so here we go. All right, Jesus says this. He said, you've heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So let me give a little context for this passage. Jesus is in the middle of answering the question that is implied by his statement in verse 20. So either flip back a page or look up your page or scroll on your device or whatever to verse 20. Because there, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that's a pretty straightforward statement, but it really begs the question of, well, what does it mean to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees? And the answer to the question comes in the form of six examples Jesus gives. Remember, the Pharisees, for example, were people who lived by the absolute letter of the law, observing even the tiniest of details. In this cultural context of Israel at this time, righteousness was measured and determined by the degree to which you observed the law. And the Pharisees lived up to the law pretty much perfectly. But in the process, they missed the point of the law. And Jesus had some harsh words for them in Matthew 23. For example, in Matthew 23, 23, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus has harsh words for them, even though they live up to the letter of the law. And in six examples, following his statement in verse 20, um, he, he shares what it means to, to be more righteous than the scribes or the Pharisees. Each time, he takes a principle where he says, you have heard that it was said, and then he expands on it. Uh, and sometimes it's a thought. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, anyone who is even unjustly angry with his brother has committed murder in his heart. Oh. Now we're talking about an internal attitude that can be sinful. Boy, if I have, even if I don't act on it, if I have it here, that's still a problem, right? In this case, he expands the idea of what it means to love others. He talks about 
not just loving your neighbors. The Pharisees were only uh, doing their duty to love their neighbor. But Jesus talks about something radically different, and it's this that I want to discuss. So he talks about, don't just love your neighbors, but love your enemies. So the law in Jewish tradition said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. The, the word for enemy there is pronounced ekthros, and it means someone in opposition to you, someone who might be hostile to you. It doesn't necessarily mean, like we think of enemy, we think of uh, like a wartime scenario, you know, Germany against the U.S. in World War II, you know, that sort of thing. But it's not, it's not necessarily that. It's just somebody who's in opposition to you. Now, here's the question. Can you think of anybody in your life, it doesn't even have to be somebody you really know personally, but somebody who is in opposition to you or hostile to you or your beliefs. Can you think of anybody, maybe it's a public figure, maybe it's a politician, somebody out there who doesn't see the world the same way you do and who is actively working against the things that you value. Can anybody here think of anybody in your life that's like that? I'm not seeing a show of hands, I didn't ask for it, but I, be <laughs> I bet there, we all have them, right? Well, I know we do. Like, nobody agrees with us on every point, and there are people actively pursuing an agenda that differs from ours. But we all have enemies in this sense. So, you know, I like to think I don't really have any enemies. Like, there's nobody out there who, well, unless I'm, maybe I'm deluding myself. I don't know too many people that, like, hate me and are trying to undermine my life, you know what I mean? But, but there are people, by this definition of the term, there are people out there who would definitely qualify as my enemies. They're working in a way that's contrary to what I value and what I believe in. They believe in it strongly, just the other way, okay? So if there's someone who's working against you, that is a definition of an enemy here. What's interesting about this is that Jesus points out something in this passage that uh, may be a little disconcerting to some of us. Jesus said, God lets the sun shine on the evil and the good, and he lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust. In other words, God, much to maybe our dismay sometimes, actually chooses to bless our enemies. Theologically, this is called common grace, that even people who are engaged in unlawful and immoral activity, even people who are unjustly treating others, who are using unethical means to gain advantage, they still are also participants in God's common grace. They also receive blessing from God. And that is like really hard for us to wrap our head around, right? But it's not just something that we, ha we wrestle with. King David wrestled with this too. In Psalm 73, 3, King David writes this. He said, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Moving down to verse 12, he says, behold, these are the wicked always at ease and they increase in riches. Now, maybe you've had somebody in your life where you think that person, you know, in my mind, does not deserve the things that they have because they're getting them by immoral means or they're cheating to get ahead or whatever. And you're like, how can this person be prospering so much? It, it, it really goes against kind of how we think it ought to work. But Jesus makes that clear that that's what happens. So it's like, okay, so God, God has a different way of thinking about this than we do. Moving down to verse 46, Jesus said, said this. He said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
don't even the tax collectors do the same? Now, he was not using this as a compliment. The term tax collector there was basically saying, look, even if the, the, the worst people can do the easy thing. Remember at the beginning I talked about my friend Greg. It's very, very easy to love somebody who is on your side. Very, very easy to love the lovable people. And Jesus says, you don't get any credit for that. If you're loving people who are easy to love, I mean, yeah, good, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but you don't get any points for that. That's not, that's not a, a marvelous thing you're doing, right? What's really the challenge is to love those people who are really difficult to love, right? Love people who are really difficult to love. The Pharisees did that. The Pharisees loved those who were easy to love. They followed the love your neighbor and hate your enemy thing. They really did not love the people that they found difficult to love. So think about the people that we talked about earlier, our enemies, like people in opposition to us. Do you find it easy to love them? The people who are working against you, maybe, maybe they're not doing it knowingly, maybe they're not like saying, okay, I'm really going after Keith here. Like it might not be that, but it might be just, you know, you're trying to pursue something and somebody else has a different agenda, but it, it crashes into yours. Do you find it easy to love those folks? Think about this political climate we're in. Do you see a whole lot of love going back and forth? I don't, even among Christians. Like there are Democrats, Democrat Christians and Republican Christians, and I don't see a whole lot of acceptance of each other. I see a lot of uh, really hard and harsh and not so kind things being said to one another. Jesus is not just calling us to love our neighbors, love our friends. It'd be, it'd be so much easier if, he, if that was all he was calling us to, wouldn't it? It'd be so much easier. But as always, God calls us to a much harder, much more challenging, and much more fruitful and rewarding path. And it's to love your enemies. And that is not easy. The, the, the task of the Christian, the mark of the Christian, is loving people who are very difficult, we might even think impossible, to love. If you are against abortion, can you love somebody who not only supports it, but who performs them? If you are strongly against systemic racism, can you love somebody who believes in things that actually promote systemic, systemic racism? <laughs> if you're a Calvinist, can you love an Arminian? Okay, maybe that's not quite as big a deal, but to those people who are really harsh on that, it can be a big deal. If you're a Christian, can you love the what I will call an evangelical atheist? Somebody who is so strongly atheistic that they're actively working against you. If you're liberal, can you love the alt-right? And if you're conservative, can you love those who are progressive or socialist? I mean, these are not easy questions, right? And I specifically uh, brought up some kind of extreme, hard political things there to make the point, right? Anytime you mention abortion in a message, you know, you're going to get some, some reaction like that, right? But, but the idea is there, right? Okay, if that's an issue you feel really strongly about, that means you have some real problems with somebody who believes the other side. Can you love them? Even in the midst of that really hard, emotional, and powerful topic. Why do you think God wants us to love our enemies? I'll give you two reasons. Number one is because that's what God does. In Romans 5, chapter 10, he said, while we were still 
his enemies, he reconciled us to himself. He reconciled us to himself while we were his enemies. I mean, that's a harsh thing to think about that before we came to know Christ, we were God's enemies. And yet, he reached down into history and he gave his life for us and he brought us into relationship with him. He did not have to do that. And that's not something you typically would do for your enemy, right? But that's what God did for us. But secondly, he does it because it's an unbelievably great witness to the world. What a powerful witness. If we could be the people who love not just our friends well, but who love our enemies even. That would be a powerful witness. So what does it mean? What does it mean to love them? What does it mean to put into practice this idea of loving your enemies? Well, we have to ask the question, well, what is love? And what does it look like? Fortunately, now we're not performing a wedding ceremony, but, but there's a great passage on love, and it's 1 Corinthians 13. And we've all heard this a million times, but why don't you turn there anyway? And uh, we'll look at this because it's, a, it's just a great passage that, that kind of gives us a sense of what love looks like, even in this context of loving your enemy. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it says this. You probably, half of us here could probably quote it by heart. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So let's kind of look at these one by one. Love is patient. Are you patient with those who advocate against your views? Or do you just feel like you have to respond to everything? Like, when you're scrolling through your Facebook feed, are you one of those people who, when you see somebody post something you disagree with, you just, you have to jump in? Love is kind. Are you kind to those who are unjust to others? Or do you feel like, if I'm being kind to this person, I'm somehow being complicit in their unjust treatment? Love does not envy. Are you able to rejoice with those who seem to have it better than you do? Especially if those people are your enemies. And especially if they've acquired their prosperity by a means that you might not think is great. Love does not boast. Are you able to be humble and not kind of lord your victories over somebody else. Love is not arrogant or rude. Are you able to engage with your enemies in a gracious manner? Love does not insist on its own way. Are you able to empathize with them and see things from their perspective? Gain better understanding of where they're coming from or do you just need to insist that you are right? Love is not irritable or resentful. Are you able to not resent those people who are in opposition to you? Or do they just get under your skin? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Are you able to love others without compromising your principles? Love bears all things. Are you able to put up with people who are, frankly, unbearable? Love believes all things. Now this doesn't mean you accept everyone's point of view as being true. But are you able to believe in the value of people who are different than you, who are against you? Are you able to believe that there's good in them? Are you able to see the image of God in them? Are you able to recognize that these are people for whom Christ died and who God is calling you to love? 
Love hopes all things. Are you able to truly have hope that God can and will work in the lives of your enemies in such a way as to bring them to himself? Or do you think that they're beyond reach? They're hopeless. Love endures all things. Are you able to tolerate, and this is actually, I have a whole crusade against the word tolerance, but that's a story for another day. Are you able to tolerate, and this is a good use of the word here, um, those who are your enemies, even when they are really, really, really getting to you? This is what it means to love your enemies. By the definition of the word in the New Testament, we all have probably not a small number of enemies. Some are not so obvious, like maybe somebody's watching right now here or uh, online at home who are just gnashing their teeth at what I'm saying. I don't know. Like, from that standpoint, that could be considered an enemy. Um, but some are pretty obvious. Some are happy to get right in your face and, and it's clear as day, right? But in either case, to love your enemies is what Christ calls us to. You know, we're, we're so, we're divided as a society, right? That's pretty clear, pretty obvious. The sad fact is that Christians have too often become like the Pharisees. We, we love our neighbors, we love our friends, we love our allies, we love people who we know are supporting us, but we don't really care too much for our enemies. In fact, truth be told, we might even hate them, right? And this happens even among Christians who stand on opposite sides of things. Why do you think there have been so many church splits in history? Some of them have been relatively amiable. Well, we just agree to disagree and we need to part ways, but most of them have been bloodbaths. Why? Why? Why are Christians doing this to each other? You know, one way that we can be salt and light, as Jesus calls us to, uh, in the world is how we love, how we love others. Um, we don't want to be like the tax collectors, the Gentiles, the Pharisees, right? Just loving your friends, because that's easy. We want to be witnesses by loving those who stand in opposition to us. Think about Jeremiah 29, 11. That's a, that's a well-known passage, right, um, that talks about God having plans for us, these wonderful plans, right? Um, but the context of that verse is that God had sent Israel into captivity into Babylon. The Babylonians had come to Israel and had conquered them and had dragged off thousands and thousands of Israelites into captivity. Right? They had been taken away from their homes. They had everything taken away from them. And in the context of that Jeremiah 29, 11 passage, yeah, I have a great plan for you. Oh, but by the way, it includes you being captive for 70 years. And while you're here, I want you to uh, start a life, marry, have your kids get married, build homes, live fruitfully, pray for the welfare of the city that you are stuck in, that captured you. Think about that. While they were literally enemies, like literally actually enemies, God told the Israelites to pray for their welfare, to seek their best. That is a pretty eye-opening, that's part of this great plan that God had for them. You know, I don't see this kind of love, the pandemic, the, the racial injustice, the protests, the politics, it's, it's a mess, right? It's a mess. I want you to notice that this is not, this is not talking about we need to like our enemies. Okay, I want, I want to make that clear. <laughs> there are people, the, the Bible never says we got to like everybody. 
All right. My dad used to say when I was a kid, he said, uh, he would say, I love you, John, um, but I like you too. You know, and, and he would then say, like, I love you, you know, I'm supposed to love you, I'm your dad, and I never took that as a bad, like, well, I, I gotta love you. He was like, no, I gotta love you, that's, that's the job, right? That's what a father does with his, with his son, loves his son. But I like you. And I always thought, I took that very well, and then he liked to hang out with me and spend time with me. Now, there are people who we don't like, and we're not obligated to hang out with them and become buds with them. But we do need to love them, even if they're really unlikable to us. So let's talk about some practical application of this. What does this look like in real life? We leave this par parking lot and we go out into the world. What does it look like in real terms? Um, for me, here's, here's one. I'll just kind of s s reveal a little bit of myself here. Um, I'm somebody who thinks very critically about things. I'm a, I think I'm a good critical thinker. I'm not particularly empathetic. It's not, it's not a strength of mine. I try to be, I tell my wife all the time, I, I have the gift of thinking about encouraging people. I think to myself, I think I could use some encouragement. And then I just leave it there, right? And so, and even when I, when I, when I see a post on Facebook or whatever, my first, my first inclination is to kind of analyze what they write. It's not, it's not to feel what they're feeling. Does that make sense to you? So here's, here's, where, it, here's where it comes down to me. Um, I, I, the practical application for me is I need, to, I need to work on my empathy and I need to stop as my first go-to analyzing everything and stop thinking about how can I take this argument apart or how, you know, how can I poke holes in it or whatever. And there's a place for that. But how can I try to sit with this person and think, What's going on in your life that made you post that? Or that makes you think that way? How can I understand you better? How can I learn a little more about you? How can I get into the heart a little bit more? I'm so here, I'm so just like, let me cut this thing to pieces. And I'm not very good at being empathetic. So I need to, one way I can love them is by trying to learn where they're coming from. Right, I had a friend once tell me, John, you need to be mature enough to let people be wrong. And he said that to me, not pointing out that I'm always right, just that I think I'm right a lot. <laughs> and so, and my argument about that, to my defense, I, I think we all think that way, because if we thought we were wrong, we would change our mind, and then we would think we're right. Does that make sense, right? So I think we all think we're kind of right. But I tend to think it pretty strongly about my thoughts. And his point was, wasn't that I'm correct about that. It's that, John, like, are you mature enough to, to let that post on Facebook go and just love people anyway? Or do you have to say something about it? You know, do you have to defend truth at all costs that it costs you relationships? And that's been convicting for me over the years. At times I'm better at it, at times I'm not. But I really need to grow in that area. So I don't know what it's going to look like for you. How can you, how can you love your enemies it's not a question of how can you love your friends better. That's a different message for another day. How can you love your enemies? There are three things kind of about that. I think we can only do it in God's power. I think we need God. I've heard people say that God will never give you more than you can handle, and I think that is totally false. I think God gives us more than we can handle all the time. Why? Because he wants us to depend on him. Right? I think he gives us more than we can handle all the time. Right? 
So first, we may not, we may not want to love our enemies like this. How many of you find that to be a, a, a joyful prospect? You know, the people who are hating on me, this is a pretty awesome idea. Like, let's go, let's go really love that guy really, really well. No, that's, this, this may really rub us the wrong way right out of the chute, okay? Um, and if you're like that, the prayer should be, okay, God, I'm not really willing right now to love my enemies, but I need to be willing, help me to be willing to be willing, Right? Just start with my willingness. Let's just start with there, okay? So we may not want to love our enemies. We may need God to give us the desire to, to love our enemies. Secondly, we may not have the ability to love our enemies like this. So we need his strength. We need to love people. Well, we need to let God love people through us, really, is what it boils down to. And third, we may not have the courage to love our enemies. You know, if you're talking about sides, you know, allies and enemies, you may have people in your life who are dear to you, who are on your side. And to love an enemy is going to cause problems with one of your allies. So do you have the courage to love your enemy anyway? For a lot of us, that's where it crashes up against the rocks, right? That's where it's like, okay, I, I want to take this step and do this, but I know if I do it, this guy's going to be mad at me. So should I do it anyway? Yes. Yes, you should. And figure that piece out, right? Jesus doesn't say, love your enemies until it becomes hard for you. You know what I mean? It becomes a challenge. Like, no, love your enemies anyway. And I got to admit, this is a message that is, that is uh, not easy for me to deliver because it's hard for me. Um, but, you know, Ryan said, hey, what have you been learning? And I'm like, I can't help but, but observe humanity, not just the last six months, but it's gotten a lot worse the last six months, as far as I can tell. Um, and I'm like, we have some major problems. I don't expect the unbelieving world out there to live like this. Because I think this is something that God has to do through us. Remember I just said, I don't think God can give you something. The, the idea of God giving you something more you can handle, I, I think that's true in this case. This is one of these where I don't think we can do it without reliance on him. And so this is the call to the Christian. Followers of Christ, can we take steps to love our enemies? My encouragement is that you think about those people in your life that would fit that category and you just say, God, how can I do this? I don't even know where to begin. That's okay. That's a great prayer to start with. All right? And I think as we do, we'll fall more in love with God, we'll experience his presence, and we'll see him work in the lives of people around us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for uh, just some really powerful truth. This is not so easy and maybe not so fun, but it is incredibly rewarding, as is everything that you call us to do. So I pray that you'd help us to take steps of faith, to love those around us, not only our friends, but those who would be considered our enemies. Uh, help us to love them like you love them. Thanks, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks.